Hello everyone, it's Friday the 11th of August and welcome to episode 167 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. With me, Ben Eagle. Now, producer Becky has had some positive feedback from some of you about the last couple of episodes taking more upbeat tune. So we're going to continue that theme today and we're thrilled that James Allen from New Zealand-based ad consultancy Waikato is in the UK alongside his wife Kerry Allen as part of James's Linfield Scholarship Travels. So Becky, or rather Becky and John, I should say, thought that it would be a great opportunity to get him on the show to talk about his research as well as a further update on New Zealand dairy. Kerry, a teacher by profession, also has a fascinating story and has designed a rural curriculum which is now taught in around 30% of schools across New Zealand. So we'll also be discussing that. There's also news from NMR and AB Agri to tell you about. So plenty on today's show. Alongside James and Kerry today, we're joined by our podcast producer and senior consultant at Kite, Becky Leach. And everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland, is still sunning himself in Ireland. But he has sent us a milk market report, which we'll go across to now. Well, I'm bringing you my report from the beautiful island of Ireland today, where I'm on holiday. And I'm rapidly becoming a hero of the nation's beef and dairy farmers, I have to self-confess. Not that anyone knows it yet. That's because I and Mrs. Favourite Dairy Market Analyst are gradually eating our way through the local cow population with all the burgers and steaks we're scoffing. A few more weeks of this and there'll be no need for a government cull of all these lovely cows you see in these lovely green fields, because we'll have eaten most of them. And delicious they are too, especially with a pint of what people here call Guinness. I'd never heard of it before we came, but it's apparently quite popular, although it can give you wind. So I reckon there'll be about as much methane produced as a result of this Guinness stuff than from all the lovely cows their bonkers politicians want to get rid of. But I bet they don't try and get rid of that. Anyway, what's to report this week? Well, Almost a month ago, we had James's colleague Phil Jerno on from New Zealand talking about Fonterra's price and saying, I think that it was inevitable it would go down. And so it has a lot. Following last week's disaster of a GDT auction, down 4.3%, remember, Fonterra has dropped its midpoint estimate by a full dollar per kilogram of solids from $8 down to $7, which equates to around 26p. I've been saying for weeks now that this is roughly what the GDT and the New Zealand futures convert to, so it shouldn't come as any surprise. So what has the reaction been? Well, Bank of New Zealand economists are estimating that Fonterra's cut to its milk price will chop nearly $2 billion from dairy industry revenues. And get this from a New Zealand paper. Quote, Dairy farmers slam their wallet shut after Fonterra's cut, unquote, screamed the headline in stuff. Whatever stuff is. Presumably a newspaper. I quote again, 
Kiwis may have wondered what the loud noise was reverberating throughout the country at around 8.30 last Friday. That was the sound of every dairy farmer in New Zealand simultaneously slamming their wallets shut as they read the news that Fonterra had reduced their farm gate milk price by 12.5%. So we know what's going to happen there. No feed buying, no spending at all. Milk volumes will go into reverse at speed. Again, all as we predicted. I'm sure there'll be more comment on this later today from James. In Europe, I think there might have been some modest improvement in prices. Nothing overly exciting just yet. Uh, Certainly we've seen green on the board this week and not much red. So I think we'll take that. Anything that isn't red is a plus, of course. The average butter price is put at 4,400 euros with Dutch origin up 30 euros and German origin up 100 euros. Cream is about the same as it was, though, in the UK in the low to mid 160s still. And skim milk powder is at 2,300 euros, uh, which means that hasn't changed at all, I'm afraid, but at least it hasn't dropped. Uh, The futures are also not at all exciting. New Zealand prices generally down EU ones, while butter is about the same. Skim milk powder down again a touch. Uh, On cheese, though, Gouda is up 150 euros, a very useful gain to nearly 3,500 euros. Mots is also up by a similar amount to 3,400 euros, so very useful gains there. Curd also up a touch. Uh, Traders are reporting some better demand, apparently, so again, a positive Uh, Finally, spot milk is 38p delivered, so no major change there either. So there you have it, a modicum of improvement maybe, but nothing to get excited about. On that note, therefore, I think I'll have another beautiful Irish steak. At least I'll be feeling better, even if you aren't. And of course, I'll be doing my bit for Ireland's emissions too. What could be better, hey? Goodbye. James, welcome to the UK and welcome to the Kite Podcast. Um, I know that you're not necessarily in the UK with your Ag First hat on. Um, as we as we talked about in the intro, you're here with your Nuffield hat on. But we would like to start with a New Zealand dairy update because your colleague Phil was on the podcast a few weeks ago and we've since had an update from him telling us that there has been a significant drop in the price that farmers are receiving from Fonterra which could leave big holes in budgets. Can you give us an update on the situation and and tell us what impact this might have? Thanks Will and and great to be on on the podcast once again and uh, great to be uh, in the UK. Uh, but if we look at the dairy situation in the UK, uh, sorry, in New Zealand, you're right. Uh, when Phil was on the podcast a few weeks back, uh, we were just releasing our annual survey. Uh, and, in, and in summary, the milk price in New Zealand has gone from uh, roughly $9 per kilo to originally a forecast of $8 per kilogram milk solids. And the latest forecast, which was released just after we released our survey, 
has gone down to $7 per kilogram milk solids. So nine to eight to seven. And in broad terms, at $9, we're making a profit. At $8, uh, it's just break even uh, due to rising costs. And at $7, uh, we're going to make a loss for many farmers. Not for all farmers, but certainly a large number if they have a higher cost structure or maybe higher debt levels uh, because interest rates have certainly crept up as well. It's putting things in a pretty tricky position. So, yeah, and we've also got a fairly tough spring, I'd have to say. Um, grass growth has gone from being wonderful last summer to a pretty wet winter. So utilisation has been poor and growth has been slow. So uh, there, there are a few challenges out there, Will, at the moment on the New Zealand's dairy front. So so that's where we're at. And at the moment, um, everyone could see the global dairy trade dropping and we're keeping an eye on things. But I would have to say the, the magnitude of that drop to $7 has caught everyone by surprise. And so we're just all taking stock of the situation right now. Uh, for us, really, th there's a few key things to think about. And the first thing is, while it's, um, it looks pretty tough, it's important not to make panic decisions and rush decisions. Uh, we've been here before. Uh, um, I've been in the job for uh, 20, 30 years now, and we've seen these rapid changes in milk price. And... Uh, it doesn't always eventuate what's forecast now to what ends up at the end of the season. doesn't always um, seem as bad as it is today. But equally, you can't make a rash decision to your farming uh, structure overnight either. So it's it's being cognizant of what's going on, making change, but not making rash changes. Yeah, yeah challenging times. Um, okay, well, tell us about your, your Nuffield and, and your plans while you're here in the UK. Thanks. So, look, really excited to be part of the Nuffield uh, team. I was awarded a Nuffield scholarship uh, late 2022. So, for us, it's about an 18 month uh, program of, of learning, of traveling, and researching, and very fortunate to, uh, to have the opportunity. So, my Nuffield uh, research is, is really looking at what's the role of the, the agricultural consultant or the rural advisor, whatever terminology you want to use. And, and what does that look like as we go uh, into the future? And from my end, we're, we're seeing quite rapid and exciting changes in, in farming and farming technology. Um, and that's helping us to, to improve productivity, improve profits and reduce environmental outcomes. But the, uh, the magnitude of data and information we're starting to see on some farms is, is vast. And, and how do we manage that? How do we manage it to, uh, uh, as I say, stay productive, improve the environment and, and do that at scale? So we've been really lucky. We've traveled throughout the, the US for a couple of weeks. Um, we've got a couple of weeks in the UK talking to some of the best and the brightest and uh, looking at what's going on and then starting to pull all that together in terms of what are the implications for, for the role of that rural professional, anyone offering advice to farmers? Because if we're not moving ahead and, and adapting with the times, we're not going to be adding value to the farmer. Absolutely. Yeah. So where else are you heading on your Nuffield travels and, and what have you learned so far? 
So we've, as I said, we've had a couple of weeks in the Corn Belt in the Midwest US, and that's been fascinating. Uh, one of the, the things I'm picking up from large-scale cropping is the amount of precision agriculture that, that is in place already, but the, the detail we can get down to. So rather than um, providing a, um, a recommendation at the field or paddock level, for example, for your sowing rates, uh, we're starting to see AI creep in now, machine learning, giving us the ability to modify the sowing rates um, at the uh, the square metre level. And so all of a sudden, you're getting much better um, use of your inputs and reducing your environmental outputs. So that's just one little example of, of where technology is heading. And, and equally on the livestock side of things, we, we see you know rapid changes in um, how technology is uh, giving us the ability to manage uh, each individual animal, uh, but also uh, for our pasture management, how we can manage our, our pastures at the, the square metre level as well. And it, it's really exciting. So um, now we've been very privileged to, to understand what's going on. And, and coming back to your question uh, from here, a couple of weeks in the UK, then later on with my Nuffield travels, uh, we have a, a week in Zimbabwe, Another week in England, uh, so I look forward to some good weather again, please. <laughs> and uh, and then another week in Italy and one in Spain. So really looking forward to the uh, the Europe side of our travels. James, what? Sorry, can I um, just ask a question? What what does what does consultancy look like? You know, what what does Ag First deliver at present? I'm just thinking about our listeners. You know, and obviously you spent a bit of time with with John and um and and other you know people around the globe so far but what what um are there any differences that you've noticed you know because clients will be familiar with what obviously kite consulting delivery looks like but what what does it look like for you yeah a really good question Becky so if we maybe talked about what some compare and contrasting of uh, extension and consultancy models of what we've seen around the world and yeah. the the US uh, consultancy model, or sorry, the US extension model is really designed on the uh, land grant systems where it's um, uh, the, the extension and information has traditionally come from the land grant universities, uh, which is freely available and, and a great method of extension. Um, however, what we're seeing is at, at the commercial level, uh, we, we are seeing uh, in, in the US, uh, much more of a, the, the advice is coming from um, those selling a product, uh, the agronomist who may be delivering um, the, the seed or the, the uh, spray as well, as an example. So it's quite a different model. But, but coming back to your question, what does Ag First do? We're, we're actually similar in a way to Kite, uh, but uh, one of our differences is we're cross-sector. So we work across the horticulture the, the dairy, the sheep and beef sectors, and some agricultural engineering work as well. Follow, just following on from that, uh, James, we talk about people um, quite a lot on this show. Um, and I'm just interested in, because I'm guessing you're looking at consultancy across all its sorts of forms. So um, when it comes to people, people management, and obviously this is Becky's main interest, um, if you saw, and you've still, I, I understand that you've still got plenty of travel still to do, but have you noticed any sort of differences in approach? Yeah, look, a really good question. Um, 
One of my earlier questions was around how technology is changing the role of farming and that of the farm advisor. What I would have to say is what hasn't changed and and is most important is the role of of people in all of this. Mm. And technology is great, but uh, technology enhances a good farmer. Um, It's not going to make a bad farmer better. So, you know, good people management skills, I think, are just fundamental, not only in a a farming business, but an advisory business as well. And as farms increase in scale, uh, this is just a fundamental these days. If you can't manage people well, you're going to struggle in, in your farming career. So really good question. And every time I've met with new people and we've d- discussed farming and what the challenges and what the opportunities are, it is coming back to, to good people. It's that real fine line that we straddle as consultants, isn't it, between actual consultancy, so, you know, whether it be looking at technical performance or business performance or data and, you know, some of those really tangible stuff. And actually, I think consultancy trips over into coaching quite a lot of the time. You know, mm. I think that's actually the the added value bit. That's the the you know, the real impactful stuff. Yes, you can analyse the data and look at the information that you've got in front of you and you can look really critically as you go around. But what you're really doing is working with that individual on a coaching basis. You know, that's how you have real impact on farm, James. Look, I, I totally agree, Becky. The, the role of a consultant, sure, some of it's technical, but a lot of it is is motivating, it's challenging, it's uh, coaching, it's mentoring, it's a sounding board. And it's a lot of those soft skills um, that a consultant really needs to hone in and uh, and use every single day. And uh, what we say to our new team members when they, they emerge bright-eyed and fluffy-tailed from university and they think they've got all the skills, <laughs> that, that they've got all the technical skills, but really that's the, the uh, right to entry to, to start um, being a consultant. And the, the real challenge is, is those uh, interpersonal skills that you mentioned, Becky. Well, and we see it time and time again, don't we? What makes a great farm business and a great farmer, uh, you know, for for want of a better definition or grower in in some of your cases, it actually is the same thing that, you know, it's that roundedness, isn't it? You know, it's a bit of everything and and those personal skills. And it was funny, we talked about that quite extensively um, last week with with another Nuffield scholar, actually, Chris Manley. Um, who uh, who you may have connected with already, but um, yeah, in, in, interesting that that theme is underlying all the way through. Right, Look, very much so, and and uh, as I say, technology is going to enhance the, the good operators, but it's not going to replace that need for really good people management skills. So, uh, you know, my perception of what's happening in the UK with farming is, uh, you know, with the policy changes, you, your scale of farming is going to increase. And that does mean uh, those people management skills are just fundamental. Yeah. The other thing about consultancy, of course, is that you tend to be looking at that longer view. Um, so just want to focus in on that for a bit. What do you think, James, the longer view looks like for consultancy, I suppose, but as well as the longer view for dairying? Sure, good, two good questions. So the first one, the, the longer-term view for consultancy. I, I think the consultant of the future needs to be technically adept and ahead of the curve in terms of 
what technology is out there and how it adds value to farming, uh, because not all technology does add value. So being very clear on which bits are important. Um, equally, I think the ability to manage and be involved with large volumes of data to get good information is going to become really critical. And one of the common themes we're starting to see uh, across the globe really is uh, a consultancy firm that does have a, a little bit of scale and the ability uh, for the individuals in that firm to um, specialise a little bit more because the days where one consultant can do everything are becoming harder and harder as farming becomes more complex. So if I was a farmer, I would be looking to say, which firm can provide me with the, the range of skills that I need? Uh, and recognising that you won't always get that from one person, and, and nor should you. And then if we move to the second question, you know, what does this uh, long-term view look like for farming? You know, yes, we've got some challenges uh, at the moment, but you know, we've seen ups and downs over the decades, and we'll ride through the, the short-term challenges. But the fundamentals are still really strong. There's a uh, an increasing demand for good dairy product. Um, it's a great product nutritionally, and there's some really good research coming out to say, well, a good dairy product, uh, you know, from an environmental perspective, um, uh, the amount of micronutrients and so forth and energy that's packed into a good dairy product, it, it rates really well. And uh, and thirdly, you know, we've always had challenges, whether it's profits or environmental. And we've always found a way to get through it. So I have confidence in the farming sector that whatever uh, is thrown at us, we'll find a way through. So I remain really positive about uh, farming. Uh, the one comment I would make is uh, try not to be average. Hmm. Like that. I'm going to take that as a comment for my life. Try not to be average. <laughs> <laughs> I think it yeah, becomes really too. apparent when you listen to uh, James talk why uh, James and the team at Ag First and you know us at the team in Kite get on so well. That all that you know, the, like you say, the fundamentals are sound. It's a bright outlook, yeah. and yeah, and try not to be average. Oh, absolutely, well, average is what is it the um, the the best of the worst and the cream of the crap. <laughs> oh, that wins John Allen's that Can we have that as the title of the podcast episode? <laughs> Cream you know of the crop. <laughs> and, and um, you know, there's a semi-serious point in that. I mean, the, the average results for farming never tend to look that great, do they? But when you dive into it, what are the top quartile doing? Yeah, their, their profit numbers are good and their return on asset levels are, are excellent. Yeah, yeah. Um, and look, it's always, it's it's a challenge to always be in that top quartile, but we've all got clients who, who manage to do it every year. So, you know, um, I think it's a lot more fun to be in that camp than in the uh, the bottom quartile. It I think that sounds like a good point. challenge to all our listeners there. Yeah, and it's interesting when you relate it back to your comment about the Fonterra, um, you know, nine dollars, eight dollars, seven dollars, you know, and and you've very rightly pointed out, that, you know, seven dollars is particularly challenging for probably more than half a, a, a half farmers, but you know, the, it's still still doable for some, isn't it? Um, I suppose the bit that we always, you know, and en endeavour to, um, 
is is that continuous improvement bit, James, as well, which you will do in your consultancy. You know, not everybody's starting from the same place, are they, today? And and actually, you know, movement upwards, uh, wherever your starting point from, actually on upwards or forwards, depending on, you know, how you perceive it is important. Yeah, there's well, something well, to that, yeah. There's, there's that classic improvement. Is there 1% improvement? Um, look, at, look for the small gains and then Marginal over gains, time, yeah. exponentially, yeah. Uh, they will they will build up um terry let's turn across to you um uh, because uh this is a this is a really sort of interesting part of this episode i suppose because we're going to turn temporarily we're still within ag but we're going to turn turn temporarily away from dairying your main profession is teaching um and you've been doing some really work interesting work over there in new zealand tell us about some of the work that you've been doing to influence and impact the new zealand schools curriculum um, good morning. Yes. So um, I am a teacher by trade. Um, I teach agribusiness and agricultural science. Um, I've always taught agricultural science. So agriculture and horticultural science is its uh, official name. Um, so in New Zealand, that is a subject and it is uh, rolled out uh, across many schools. Um, However, we were finding that it wasn't attractive to students. Uh, they were coming in. Uh, only to work on farm or on, on orchard or on boat, uh, but we needed to see some broader skills, but also we weren't attracting uh, the whole range of academic and best and brightest students that we could potentially be trying to attract into our industry. Uh, so about uh, 10 years ago, um, I was employed to look at uh, the subject of agribusiness. So agribusiness is sort of from the farm gate or orchard gate, from boat, uh, through to the consumer. And here we are trying to attract students that not necessarily want to go on farm, on boat, on orchard, but are more wanting to be along that supply chain. So maybe in marketing, distribution, logistics, an accountant, a lawyer, um, but here we're trying to give them those skills, but also have a really good understanding of the primary sector. So if they want to be an accountant, they could be an accountant uh, in a firm that is solely or predominantly works with primary industries. So, so that's what I set out to do. Um, predominantly, it was for the school that um, I was currently working at. So it was going to be like a niche subject for our school. Uh, but very quickly, we realised that this was sort of bigger than our school and would be beneficial for the whole country. So I took, um, along with my team, we developed a curriculum and we took that curriculum to our Ministry of Education. Uh, this is the first time that a subject had been taken to the ministry rather than the ministry tell us uh, what is right. needed. Uh, and uh, very luckily, we will, over about three years, were able to get it through uh, to the national curriculum, and we have since then, since um, 2018, been rolling it out nationwide uh, across the country. So we started off being in 10 schools, and we're now in 116 schools. Um, we were a little bit slow through COVID um, for obvious reasons. Uh, teachers were trying to consolidate uh, rather than increase their repertoires, uh, but uh, yeah, we're in 116 schools around the country. That's incredible. What 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 motivated you to do this, Kerry? What, what, uh, where what did the idea come from? Um, well, um, I'm passionate about uh, the primary sector, um, and I really was upset uh, not to be able to attract 
uh, good quality uh, students. Um, that could be the whole range of from there, like we need good practical students, we need good academics, we need good future thinkers, we need uh, students with good soft skills. Um, so, but we weren't attracting all of those, we're only attracting some of them. Um, and so it was set out to be, um, yeah, to encourage and to maybe change the perception of primary sector. Uh, so ag and horse science traditionally had been uh, unofficially deemed as non-academic or uh, a dumping ground for um, behavioural issues, um, etc. Now we want to. It's really hard to change a perception. It's much easier to build a, a new perception with a new name or new subject. However, the content behind agriculture and horticultural science, so the on the management practices and the um, the knowledge that they learned, is really important. So that is. Doesn't, didn't need to change. We just needed to, to try and attract um, more people into the industry. So hence the reason for agribusiness. We could have potentially uh, increased the repertoire or the, the content of the ag court science curriculum. Um, but I think by having it as two separate subjects, you have changed that perception. And uh, with that perception, you will get better quality people coming through or people with different interests or coming in with a technology background or a, a, an accounting or a commerce background that we may not have attracted before. Um, and yet we really need those tech um, skills coming through. We need those future thinkers um, to problem solve our, our issues that we have in our industry. So, yeah, Sorry, when when you took the idea to the um, education board, what what um, what was their response? Uh, at the start, not uh, very favourable um, to start with because it had never been done before. Um, so they had to set up procedures and policy in which we then needed to jump through hoops to to get it done. So um, as I said, normally the ministry will come up with an idea and that's what they then will roll out. Um, but this was different. This wasn't their idea. This this was basically telling them they weren't meeting needs. And, of course, um, that's <laughs> yeah, a hard place to start. Um, so, but once they came, um, you know, fully understood the idea and the concept and the curriculum area and the new knowledge that we were trying to do, um, they were fully on board. So um, the program started off as a public-private partnership with private uh, businesses funding it, um, and now we have had some support from the ministry um, in terms of some funding. Um, so that's, yeah, so that, they've been very supportive in terms of uh, the policy side of it. So that's been very encouraging. And have you seen that that change in perception then is, uh, you know, you're starting to see boots on the ground that reflect Reflect what you wanted to achieve in terms of the students that are coming through? Yes, um, a little bit hard to track uh, because obviously students who want to do marketing go to um, off to do tertiary in the marketing sort of universities rather than go to an ag uh, university. But we are finding that um, they have a better understanding of the industry. So once they've gone through and done their accountancy degree or, um, you know, degree in sort of logistics or something, they will come back into industry because they do have a really good understanding of it. So, yes, we're attracting um, new students. I'd say these are students that wouldn't have done uh, this type of um, education. So uh, I think last year's figures was about 3,500 students had done agribusiness across the country. Um, so that's 
you know, three and a half students, thousand students we wouldn't have had before. Um, and yeah, at the lowest level, if they have some form of um, education based in the primary sector, then they're going to have a, a much better understanding of it. Uh, through to right through, um, some of them have now decided that that's where they want to go, and they've picked up agriculture and horticultural science as a subject as well. Uh, so we've had some increased numbers in um, in that program as well. So so that's really exciting. So they're very complementary. Uh, you can do both. Um, yeah. You you have been so modest and underselling this, Kerry, so much. This is this is an absolute game changer, isn't it? When you think about um, or when I think about, you know, UK ag and recruitment into the sector, which is what, again, I spend a lot of time talking about and, you know, the availability of people and quality people. And even when you relate that back to um, consumer understanding of the sector and, and the people who are connected with people who are connected with the sector, you know, this is this is absolutely in terms of promotion for the sector, absolutely phenomenal. And um, you are now on uh, well and truly on my list of, you know, influential people in ag. This, I think this is a, a could be a real game changer. I'm, oh, I'm going to be like fangirl, I'm sorry. It takes, takes a lot to get on Becky's list of influential people, Kerry. <laughs> I praise indeed. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I do have a team. It's not um, not just me. I oversee the team. So our two, um, our two programs are called Agribusiness and Schools and uh, Sow the Seed. So Agribusiness and Schools um, is an advisory service uh, where we are trying to get more teachers, more schools, more students to uptake uh, the agribusiness subject. And then um, agriculture and horticulture science is advisory services called Sow the Seed, and that does the same thing, trying to get uh, more teachers, more schools, more students to take uh, agricultural science uh, as a subject. Um, so our biggest limiting capacity or our barrier is actually teachers. So if there's anyone in the primary sector that is trained um, in primary sector edu um, education, we'd love you back in the sector. Uh, so that's my little plug. Um, so any consultant who's had enough and would like to go in the classroom, um, <laughs> I'm sure right across uh, the UK we could do with uh, more uh, teachers uh, teaching. Such subject. a good point. Such mm. a good point. I was going to say, while you are in the UK, Gary, do you want to just head down to Whitehall a bit and just have a word with Department of Education yeah. here in Defra? That would be really helpful. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I spend a lot of time um, fighting policies, education policies. Um, luckily, you know, the more consistent or persistent you are, uh, then finally someone listens. Uh, but in my case, uh, it, it's been really beneficial. And uh, we're trying to get, you know, more more people into the sector so that basically we have more people uh, farming, more people along that supply chain uh, to do a better better job to essentially feed the world. So um, as far as I'm concerned, it's a, it's a win-win. Um, if I only get one student, if I get 5,000, um, that's fantastic. So. She can be basically quite consistent. <laughs> I was just thinking that's basically what my career has been built on been really persistent and eventually somebody will listen that's how I got into <laughs> fantastic okay um amazing um just moving back to dairy uh for for a minute or two Ben there has been some news from AB Agri this week hasn't there yes of course well so earlier this week 
AB completed their acquisition of National Milk Record, NMR, which we actually covered several weeks back as a developing story. Uh, Becky, this, of course, means that NMR is now in the same family as Pite. Um, What does it mean generally? Yeah, we're more more members uh, to the family. And uh, you know me, I quite like uh, hosting and entertaining. So that'll be um, that's always good (laughs) to to get to meet new new members of the family. yeah, I suppose it's not news, is it? It's been bubbling on for a while. But I was just reflecting actually earlier when you hear James talk about, um, you know, the, the consultancy businesses of the future and, you know, the information and the data and how farming is going to change it. You know, I think when you look at the wider AB strategy and what they've done with dairy farmers over the last 30 years in terms of, you know, supporting farmers with nutrition and feed products and uh, you know and then you look at the sort of technology and data platforms that they've got in-house as well this you know this is a really natural fit it'll it'll enable ab as a as a wider business to um ensure the success of dairy in the future in in the way that we support clients so i'm really really excited James, AB, Agri, Kite and NMR are all clearly committed to dairying in the long term. We started this episode by talking about the Frontera payout and the difficult situation at the moment. It it might be easy to get downbeat when you're experiencing the current challenging days, but clearly, James, you are back in the future of dairy. Um, And as you mentioned earlier on, you're a very positive person. Why are you so committed to the future of dairy? Look, uh, good good question. And uh... The first comment is for anyone who is feeling challenged by the, the lower prices or, or, or some of the uh, other challenges that are out there, the most important thing you can do is to share those challenges, whether it's to your consultants or your farmer friends down the road. Um, the worst thing you can do is internalise it. And uh, so just get out there and talk about it because there's lots of other people in that boat and uh, problem shared really is a problem heart. But coming back to your question, you know, what, why are we so positive about the future? Um, look, I, I think uh, we, we've seen these ups and downs before. And, uh, you know, you, as I said earlier, dairy is a good product. Uh, we, we, um, we're good at producing it uh, across the world, and it's a product everyone needs. And um, while there's always challenges out there, I'm just so committed uh, around the, the positivity of the good people there to, to make it work. So I think there is a really strong future. Okay, good place to leave it. That's all we have time for today. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your travels. Safe journey home to New Zealand again. Um, and a very big thank you to you both, uh, James, Kerry, and podcast producer, Becky Leach. Thank Thanks you very much for listening. Thing. Oh, it's been great having you. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Please see the show notes for more information, including our podcast disclaimer. We'll be back with you next week. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here. <laughs>